Good morning. As we begin today, let's, uh, let's remind each other that Christmas means an end to fear. Wouldn't it be nice this Christmas if there was no more fear? No more fear of finances. No more fear of uh, a diagnosis. No more fear of a relationship ending. Um, Luke chapter 21, verse 68 says, Praise be to the Lord the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Jesus came so we can serve the Lord this Christmas without fear. And so let's remind each other of that as we begin to worship. As we start to worship, I want to just share some things that I've learned um, we call these four Sundays the Advent, Advent season. And that comes from the early church that started what we call, referred to as the church calendar. And throughout the church calendar, many um, churches follow it very carefully. But this is the time they call the season of Advent. And it's to help us focus on the coming of Christ. The first Advent was when Christ came to Bethlehem. That's what started this. And so as we do this Advent, I was trying to figure out how to explain it. And so I came across this. The best way to understand what an Advent is for us is go to the airport. And if you go to the airport, when I was in college, we went to O'Hare on the weekends and just sat in the lobby and watched people. Well, we, we were college kids. Kathy didn't. She was studious. Um, but we would try to guess where they were coming from, what they did, you know, just watch people. But at the airport, if you watch people, you see people anxiously awaiting husband and wife. You know, they've been on a trip. You see kids anxiously awaiting grandparents. You see all these kind of connections, but all of them have in common they're anxiously awaiting. That's what Advent is. We should be anxiously, today, anxiously awaiting the coming of Christ. He's come once. He's coming again. And so as we sing these songs, keep that in mind. Are we doing originally what the church calendar said? Or are we getting caught up in the commercialism of the Advent, which is all the other stuff? And let's put that aside and focus on this. And so the first song we're singing is Emmanuel. And if you look at it in the hymn book, it's spelled with an E. But if you see our sign for pastor's series, it's spelled with an I. It's the same word. But what makes a difference is if you translate the Hebrew to English, you use the I. But when we translate the Hebrew into Greek, to English, they use the E because the alphabets are different. That's all it is. It's just a different time of translation. So if we take it from the Greek, we use the E. If we take it from the Hebrew, the original text, it's the I. And so what we have on the wall is the correct spelling. In the hymn book, it's an E. So let's stand up and sing Emmanuel. This morning as we pray, you may have heard that 
Maureen uh, is in the hospital right now waiting on surgery. She fell last night and broke her hip. Janie said she's in pain, but she's got, um, she's got medicine that's working a little bit. But she just asked for prayer for her mom and obviously for her and for Bonnie. Many of you have walked that road and know what it's like to care for your parents when they've broken a hip and are going through surgery. So we know how to pray for them. Let's pray. Father, your word tells us that you reign over all the earth. And so the whole earth should tremble at that truth. And I pray that today we would tremble at the truth that the Lord reigns. There is no king that rivals you. Satan doesn't threaten you. He is not your equal. He is under your power. There is no earthly king. There is no earthly president. There's no earthly prime minister or government or general that that compares to you, that can threaten you. God, I pray that today we would be the ones to tremble. There would be no news in our life that reigns in our hearts, no desire for money or for success or for anything, Lord, that anything would reign in our hearts. I pray that today you would cause us to tremble at the truth that you're the one that's in charge. You're the one that's ruling and reigning today. God, your word tells us that you sit enthroned between the cherubim as we've learned. That means that in the most holy place, you are the one that sits in charge and unrivaled, active to bless and to care for and to to deliver. And so I pray, God, that today you would start with us and spread to all of West Central Illinois, spread to the entire United States, spread to the entire world, the trembling at your rule and reign in the world. God, I pray that today you would remind us that you are mighty so that we can worship here at Christmas knowing that God who is is mighty and he is just. God, I pray that you would remind us that you do right in all things. As you care for us, you care for us with justice. As you care for us, you care for us with wisdom. As you work deliverance in our lives, you are working wise and just deliverance. God, I pray that today you would remind us that your word shows us how to worship you. Your word shows us how to approach you, and it bids us to come. It invites us to come near. Lord, pray that you would remind us that you are a hearing and answering and forgiving God today. I pray, God, that no matter what the secret or not-so-secret challenges each of us face. God, that you would remind us you are an answering, forgiving, loving, wise God. And so we can tremble in your presence while also being welcome and included. God, I pray to, we pray today for Maureen. We pray, Lord, uh, she's in pain right now, waiting on surgery. God, we pray that you would relieve the pain that she's going through, that you would remind her that you are near to her in this moment. God, we pray that you would give the doctors, give them speed and give them uh, wisdom and skill. May this be one of their best days of surgery. May they, be, may they do it quickly with no complications and no difficulties. God, I pray, Lord, for Bonnie and for Janie, that you would give them strength and encouragement that you love them and are near them and are walking with them down this road as they care for their mom. God, I pray that this that you would relieve any worries or fears because we know how scary it can be to care for an aging parent 
We know it can be tiring, and so we pray for strength and, and encouragement for Janie and for Bonnie. God, we pray that you would remind all three of them that you have created them in Christ Jesus for good works, including in this season. As we near Melmarine's 97th birthday, you are your plans for her are not being delayed. That you're still working out in her and through her your good plan for her. God, we have several in our church that right now are facing this week or in the coming couple of weeks surgeries, tests, doctor's visits. God, we, we don't know what's on the other side of the door where the doctor is. God, we pray. We pray that you would calm their fears. Remind them that your plans are not slowed down. You haven't turned a blind eye to them, but that you love them and promise to do good to them and that in Christ Jesus, all of your promises will come true and are good and are yes. And so God, those right now that are, are, are afraid or are worried or don't have the right words to describe what this feels like, God, we pray, I pray that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding. I pray for those in our church that do feel like there's just so many closed doors, so many things that are not going right. God, I pray for those that wonder, why is this? Why am I going through this? Why is this slow? Why is God not answering this prayer? God, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that your time is not our time, that your yes is always yes for us in Christ Jesus, that you will do good to us. And so, God, I pray that you would give us that bedrock belief. God is not slowed down today. And he won't be slowed down tomorrow. God, I pray for those in our church who have children and grandchildren that they have been praying for and asking that you would turn their hearts to you. I pray that you would do that for those whose kids and grandkids have turned away from you and want nothing to do with you. God, we pray, we pray for those family members that you would change their hearts. We know that you can do it because you've done it in us and we pray that you would do it in them. I pray, God, for those in our church who are weary of praying for their kids. I pray that you would give them encouragement to draw near and to keep asking. May they not give up. May, they not, may their hearts not grow cold or grow hard as you don't as you don't answer in our time. But God, may we press in and believe that it is a special thing to stand in between God and our loved ones and ask for mercy. God, we pray for our brother and sister churches in Jacksonville today. There is not enough gospel witness to reach every person in Jacksonville with the gospel. And so we pray your blessing on their services today. We pray that you would Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with your presence, that you would fill them with your truth, that you would give them a passion for their friends and their neighbors and their family members to hear of the great love of God this Christmas. We pray that the outreaches those churches are doing, God, we pray that your hand would be on them so that the truth would go out, not just morals, not just religion, but the truth of Jesus who lived the life we should live and died the death that we should die and was raised to life so that all who trust in Jesus can be saved. We, God, we pray that, that through the churches in Jacksonville this Christmas, people would hear and believe the gospel. And God, we pray for our missionaries today. We pray, Lord, for the 
the missionaries, several of whom are headed into retirement right now, going through a transition and passing their ministries off. God, we pray that there would be no, no, uh, there would be no mistakes in this season, but that they would press in to continue sharing the truth, raising up leaders so that the gospel goes out in Jamaica and in Spain and in Wales and in Africa, in South America, here in North America, here in Illinois. God, we pray your blessing on each one of our missionaries and the work that they do. God, we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This Christmas, I have gotten to use my favorite saw many, many times, more than I've ever used it in my life. And you're, some of you are like, how in the world could you have a favorite saw? Well, this was the first saw I was given, and I despised it. I didn't care for it. Uh, shortly after we got married, I don't even know why I was given it. I think I was given it as a Christmas gift, and it was my jigsaw. And I was like, the jigsaw, that's not really like that important. That's not like a big, huge deal. And so I used it here and there, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the greatest. And you guys know, may know, Emma and I have this joke. Whenever I do a project, she goes, okay, what kind of saw do you need now? Because I'm always like, well, it's a safety issue. You got to have the right saw or you'll cut your finger off. And so somewhere along the line, I was working on a project a few years back and I was like, I need to check something out. And so I, I was somehow come, came across a, a YouTube video that was explaining things you can do with your jigsaw. And I went, oh, all the things that I despised about my jigsaw, I didn't realize it actually can do things I didn't know how to do. This Christmas is uh, Jason and Reg and I and others have been working on a nativity for the church. We did more jigsaw cuts than you could ever imagine. You'll see it come out this week. More jigsaw cuts than you can imagine. And yesterday I was making tree toppers for Emma. And you can do all sorts of different kinds of cuts or entrances into the wood that I didn't know you could do. But it took a number of years before I realized, oh, that saw is really underrated. A miter saw is fancy. You know, a circular saw, you can do a lot with it. Well, you need an undercut saw for this. But a jigsaw, it's a tiny little thing, nothing fancy about it, can do more than I realized when somebody, a master with the jigsaw, showed me what you can do. And I was thinking of that because we come to Christmas, and there are part of Christmas we just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, Jesus is named Emmanuel. Okay, let's get to the good stuff. Let's get to the fancy stuff. I wonder how many of us get here to Christmas and underestimate what a big deal it is for Jesus to be Emmanuel. All of us have things in our lives that we think are important and some things that we underestimate. And I think this Christmas, we may be getting to Christmas and underestimating how important it is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. What a big deal it is. And I realize I'm speaking to people that have been in the church for 90, some of you have been in the church for over 90 years. So many of you have been in the church for over 70, 60 years, some over 40 years. But I still think we've come to Christmas in 2023 and we underestimate what a big deal the nativity is. We may know all the facts, but I want to show you today from Exodus chapter 19. Maybe for the first time, maybe it's just a reminder 
that God with us is a far bigger deal than we ever imagined. Go ahead and turn with me to Exodus 19. This series that we're going through, Exodus, or I'm sorry, this series that we're going through, Emmanuel, God with Manchester, we're walking through the Bible looking at passages that show us the presence of God and to see what does that have to teach me about Matthew chapter 1 that says Jesus will be God with us. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 3 to see what God's presence in the garden teaches us and prepares us for in Matthew chapter 1. Today we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 19 when Israel has passed through the Red Sea, they've been rescued out of slavery in Egypt, and they come to Mount Sinai and they encounter the presence of God. And I want, we're going to see what God's presence at Sinai requires us what we need when we get into the presence of God and what Exodus chapter 19 teaches us about it. Turn with me to Exodus 19. We're going to begin in verses 1 through 7. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. Let's pray. God, as we open your word, as we get ready for Christmas, help us not underestimate your presence again. Help us realize what a big deal it is that we get to come to God with us who came to us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Briefly here at the beginning, I want to walk you through the scenes of this story before we get to what we learn from Exodus chapter 19 about the presence of God. In these first verses, the first part of the scene, God like calls Israel into a covenant. We've talked about this together, but it's always good to be reminded. We don't have a lot of covenants in our world. But here, this is a a formal relationship with promises on both sides that God makes with Israel. We see it in verses 1 to 6. Here at the beginning, God comes and calls out to Israel and says, let's make a covenant between us. And God says, this is this promise that I am going to make to you. But notice when He does it, He starts with, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you. This covenant and this relationship starts with God moving in Israel's history, moving toward them to rescue them. And then notice that this covenant also, in addition to it being God saying, I've already saved you, it then says, this is so that you would be 
my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to Israel. There is this identity and mission that God is giving Israel here at the beginning as he lays out this covenant before the Ten Commandments have even come. God has said, I'm here. I have already rescued you. Your part in this is going to obey to be to obey me. Your identity will be to be my people. The mission will be a mission to the world, like priests representing me in the world. So God calls them into this covenant. Then verses seven and eight, Moses goes to the people. I'll pick up in verse eight. The people all responded together, "We will do everything the Lord has said." So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord calls them into a relationship, a covenant, and then Israel says, yes, we'll do it. They respond, we are going to keep this covenant. We will do our part. So then in scene 3, verses 9 to 15, then God begins preparing the people for more of this relationship. Verse 9, the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. So here God prepares the the people for this covenant and for his presence. He prepares them for it. He sends a mediator between them, Moses and God. Moses is between God and the people. Then he says, prepare yourselves with these rituals of washing the clothes. These are moral, I'm sorry, these are ritual preparations that reflect the heart. We later will see the Pharisees will they'll Do the outside, but not the inside, Jesus tells them. But this is a call to say, if you love me, you're going to wash your clothes. And the point is to love me, not to simply wash your clothes. And so God prepares the people with these. With God prepares the people. And then in the fourth scene, verses 16 to 25, then we see what the Lord comes down. Verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Verse 20, the Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, 
The people cannot come up Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Here, the Lord's presence comes down. I want you to notice the word tremble is used in verse 16 and verse 18. In one, it's the mountain that trembles. In the other, it's the people of God that tremble. The Lord's presence comes down. The mountains and the people quake. And the Lord protects them and says, put up, maybe your translation says, put up barriers. Put up barriers around the mountain so that the people don't break through it and die. This passage as God prepares the people for a relationship with Him and prepares the people for a relationship with Him. Uh, I want to show you four things that we have to understand about being prepared for the, for the presence of God. Four things we have to understand for the, so that Christmas becomes relevant to us. So that Christmas becomes better news than we've ever known. Four things we have to understand from this passage. First, I want you to understand that God's presence requires God's action. The very beginning of this in verses 4 to 6, notice what the Lord says. He says, you have seen what I did to Egypt. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. This entire relationship that God is laying out and God's presence that's about to come down starts with God coming down to Egypt and rescuing His people and carrying them on the eagle's wings. God's salvation, we see in Exodus chapter 19, comes before God's commands. God's salvation comes before the covenant here. We have to understand that if God's presence is going to come down, then God Himself acts first. He takes them out of Egypt. And this is true in the order of the Christian life. That if we're to have the presence of God, it doesn't start with us figuring out what do we need to do. It's let us see what God has done. God's presence requires God's action, not just in Exodus chapter 19, but in every moment throughout the Bible. The Bible is constantly reminding, look and see what I did for you. Look and see what, how I have come and carried you. Abraham, look and see how I came and called you out of the land of your forefathers. This is the order in the Bible and in the Christian life. And our hearts tempt us to think that our walk with God starts with us. How often we read our Bible, how often we attend church, how often, how hard we work in the Christian life. And Exodus chapter 19 says, no, God's presence has always required God's action first. The source of the relationship, the source of the covenant, the source of the commands, the source of the promises, all of these things always start with God's action. A couple years ago, I think we'd been here for six months, and I get call. I think I called Roger. I called one of the trustees, and I was like, 
uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was water dripping on my head. And my pillow is soaked at this point. And so we kind of had a good laugh about the fact that when I was a kid, I had heard about like some countries would torture people by like dropping water on their forehead endlessly. Well, I can sleep through it. So evidently I can handle that kind of a torture. Uh, so my pillow is soaked by the time I wake up and notice there is a problem here. And it's the middle of the night and it's raining. And I'm like, I don't How is there a leak above our heads? So uh, we have to, like, I think we called Brandon. We had to call up and say, let's figure out where the source of this leak is. And you may know the problem with leaks is they can start in a lot of places and run to a new place. You got to figure out, I mean, you can try to patch one spot, but depending on the roof, it could have started all the way across and run across the eave and ended up above your head. Luckily, we found out where the leak was and we were able to patch the leak. But it all, but the, it all started with trying to find the source of the leak and then waiting until it rained again to test it and see did this actually work. And I was thinking of that story because when we find a leak in our roofs, when we find a leak in the car, when we find a leak somewhere, we've got to find the source of it. And here, this passage says, when we find God's presence, we need to see where does it come from? Where does it start? And this passage says, it starts with God. It starts with God's action. God is the one who has to come to Israel and save them out of Egypt if they are ever going to be able to see God. And so before Israel meets God at Sinai, God comes to them in Egypt. And so you and I have to understand this Christmas, if we're going to know that Jesus is God with Manchester, God with you in the doctor's office, God with you in your job, God with you and your family again, if that's who God is going to be, then it's going to start with God being the one to act. Second thing we have to understand from this passage about God's presence is we have to understand that God's presence requires God's man. Verse 3, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Verse 7 says, So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people. Verse 9, The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. Verse 20. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. Exodus chapter 19 has Moses running up and down the mountain. It's, you know those times where you... you run an errand and then you run in the errand again and then you run the errand again because you kind of... Moses is running up and down the mountain, but the Lord says, it's so that they will know and put their trust in my man. God's intent is that the people understand they don't just get to, oh, I get to go with God, it's no big deal. That if they get to see God, if they get to hear from God, it's going to come in God's way from God's man. The mediator that God lays out for Israel at this moment is Moses. And he's teaching them, you're not going to come into my presence without a mediator. You're not going to come into my presence without somebody to go in between you and me. God is trying to teach this to Israel. That for Israel to be with God, they need a man to stand between them. 
They need somebody to speak to them from God and somebody to speak to God for them. And God is teaching us at Christmas, if we are going to have His presence, then we need a man to stand in the way. As New Testament believers, we can get so used to the the truth, which is true, that we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, that we have access to God by faith through Jesus Christ. We can get so used to that that we forget it's always required a man to stand in between us. We don't have that right on our own to do it. In Israel's history, this has been the lesson. Aaron was the worst first priest you could imagine. But you and I, if we think about the priesthood, we think of people that love the Lord and walk with the Lord and pray daily and have devotions. And Aaron is the one in two chapters who's going to make an idol for the people. He's already been leading the people. He's already seen salvation. He's already been standing in between God and the people. And Aaron is a bad priest. And so the point can't be that Aaron in and of himself is a great representative. The point of Aaron's priesthood is not how good Aaron is. It's the fact that Israel needs somebody to stand in between them and God. And Aaron and his sons are going to be the ones to do it. In Israel's history, the priesthood are not the ones that lead Israel into holiness. Because the point is not that the priesthood in and of itself is good enough, but that Israel needs to learn the lesson that we need a man to stand in between us and God. It's always been that way. There is no innate goodness inside any one human being that is the point. The point is, you and I, Israel throughout the Bible, have needed God's man to stand in between them and God, or they won't be able to stand and come to God. So you and I have to understand that God's presence requires God's action. We have to understand that God's presence requires God's man. Now I want to show you the third thing we have to understand from this passage. Understand that God's presence requires God's preparation. Look at in verses 10 to 15. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. Your translation might say, set them apart. Prepare them. The Lord is saying the people The people must be prepared if they're going to come and be with me. They don't just get to just waltz in. You and I get the privilege in the New Testament, in New Testament times, of being in the presence of God and having the Holy Spirit dwell inside us at all times. But here Israel is having to learn there must be preparation before somebody can be near God. There's nothing inherently good or bad about washing your clothes. There's nothing inherent about sex that is like, uh, says, well, you have to do this to be prepared. There's nothing moral in washing clothes, in refraining from having sex, although there is, the religions around Israel would often include that in their worship. And so there was this element of washing clothes, abstaining from sexual relations that said, we are going to set ourselves apart for the Lord. We want to be in the presence of God, and so we have to be prepared. We can't just do that on our own. These are rituals that reflect hearts and separation from the world around us. And God is teaching the people that you don't just get to waltz in. You must be prepared to come. Ever since the garden, 
we have got to be prepared before we can come into the presence of God. In the garden, God comes and says, where are you? We've been walking in the cool of the day together like this normally, but ever since the garden, we have to be prepared if we're going to come before a holy God. And so God in verses 10 to 15 are teaching us that we have to be prepared before we can come in the presence of God. Ephesians chapter 5 explains how that happens in the New Testament period. For believers like us, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 26 and 27, you can write that down if you want to check it later, talks about, is comparing Christ's love for the church to the way husbands are supposed to love their wives. But it says, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or other blemish, but holy and blameless. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us it has still required God's preparation for God's people to come into his presence. God sanctifies his church. God sets apart believers so that they can come and be with him. And so we get used to God with us, the Holy Spirit living inside us. I can pray anywhere I want, at any time that I want. And all of those things are true. But Exodus 19 shows us we had to be prepared to have the right to pray in the deer stand. We had to be prepared before we could pray in our bed in the middle of the night when we wake up. Somebody had to set us apart so that we could be in God's presence in a hospital room. This has always been the pattern, is that God's presence requires God's preparation. And then the fourth thing that we have to understand from this passage is understand that God's presence requires God's protection. In verse 12, God says to Moses, put limits or barriers for the people around the mountain. In verse 21, the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people so that they do not force their way or break their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Verse 24, The Lord replied, go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. I think that you can, it's easy to read that as God's angry and says, don't come here. But the Lord says over and over, put up barriers so so that the people do not come farther than they should. I believe that the Lord is putting up barriers to protect the people from what could happen if they rush into his presence. He is putting up limitations because your translation could put it this way. I think think this makes good sense. Lest I break out against them. So that this doesn't happen, protect them with barriers, Moses, so that their sons don't run up here, so that their animals don't run up here. The, The Lord is teaching Israel that God's presence requires God's protection. And that is the pattern throughout the Bible. When they set up the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies is protected so that the people do not go in there when they're not allowed in the presence of God. When the temple is built, there are protections and the, the, the priests put up systems knowing there are places people are not allowed because it protects the people from what might happen if they end up too quickly in the presence of God. The Lord is protecting the people in this passage. So this whole passage tells us that we have to understand that God's presence 
requires his action, his man, his protection, and his preparation. Christmas, where we say God with us, God with Manchester, requires God to act, God to send a man, God to prepare the people, and God to protect us. And so we get to Christmas. And Exodus 19 says, points us to Matthew 1 that says, and that's exactly what Jesus is for you. We can just brush past the angel telling Joseph, and you will name him Emmanuel, God with us. But in light of Exodus 19, then we hear the angel telling Joseph, Joseph, your son will be God's action and God's man and God's preparation and God's protection on you. The verse that Melissa read earlier, Hebrews chapter 19, verses, or chapter 10, verse 19 to 22. You might want to, you might want to write that down. Circle it in your bulletin. I want you to hear in Hebrews chapter 10 all of the echoes of Exodus 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's just like note for note. Jesus is God's action. God coming down to save his people, carrying them on eagle's wings. Jesus is God's man standing in between God and people. Jesus is God's preparation so that they are sprinkled with his blood to wash their clothes. Jesus himself is God's protection over you. Note for note, telling us that when we understand what a big deal it is to be in the presence of God, then we understand the good news of Christmas. You see, in your heart, you're going to be tempted to think that you have to move first to be near God. You're going to think you have to clean up your act, do enough, but Sinai and Bethlehem tell us God moves first. Look and see because God moved first. In your heart, you and I are going to be tempted in pride to earn everything ourselves. We're going to be tempted to try to be like God, but Sinai and Bethlehem teach us that we cannot come to God except through God's man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And so come to him. You and I are going to be tempted to either dress up and come to God, or we're going to be tempted to try to stay away because we're not prepared enough. But Sinai and Bethlehem tell us that God prepares and cleanses everyone who comes to him through Christ. So go to him. You and I are going to be tempted to try to break through the barrier and set ourselves up on the throne, or to stay away and protect ourselves from God. But Sinai and Bethlehem teach us that Jesus has torn down the barriers that keep us from God. We have access through Jesus. In fact, Jesus says that all who come to him, he will live in them forever. So that if you're in Christ, you have the presence of God dwelling in you right now. And so this passage calls us this week to live in this reality. 
live in the reality that Bethlehem remakes Sinai and says, come to God confidently. Come to God continually. Come to God knowing that God's man and God's protection and God's preparation is all laid out if you will trust in Jesus. This week, if you're in Christ, Emmanuel means that you have God's action and God's man and God's preparation and God's protection over you. Will you live in that reality this week? No matter what happens or where you have to go. But what if you realize right now that you are not in Christ? What if you know right now that God made you and is in authority over you? What if you know that you have sinned against God and made Him your enemy? What if based on Ephesians 19, or sorry, Exodus 19, you know that God's, that God's punishment remains on you for your sin? And you say, how can it be different? How can I be welcomed in Christ? You say, how can I be saved? The Bible tells us that Jesus, the God-man, Emmanuel, would live his life perfectly the way that you and I should have lived our lives. Loving the Father, obeying His parents, submitting to the government, loving His neighbor as Himself. Then He died the death that you and I should die and was raised to life so that He can offer forgiveness and eternal life to everybody who comes to Him in repentance and faith. Whether you're four years old or 96, this offer is for you. These promises can be yours. Emmanuel can be God with you and in you. And so let today be the day that you repent of sin and trust in Christ. Whether you do it now in the quietness of your own heart, you come forward during our final song and say, I want to know this. Help me, help me walk down this road. Let today be the day of salvation. Don't put it off. God with us is yours for the taking. So this passage, it calls us to Mount Sinai and says, you have something far better. In Jesus, you have God's action, God's man, God's preparation, God's protection. You have access to God at Christmas. So go to Jesus the whole season and trust Him and walk with Him and believe this. I started the sermon saying, there are so many things in our lives that we can underestimate. Whether it's a jigsaw that we got as a gift years before, something else common in our lives. This passage calls us and says, Emmanuel is an incredible truth that changes everything at Christmas. If we will look at Jesus, I want you to imagine what changes in your Christmas this year. If you realize that, it, that because you are in Christ, you are fully prepared, that you're fully welcome. God's not waiting until you get your marriage in order before you're welcome with Him. Imagine what changes in your own heart when you realize that you have access to God, not when you get it all right as a parent, when you, when you stop sinning in whatever that secret way of sin it is. When, God's not waiting on you, but if you'll come to Christ, then He is looking at you and seeing His his full cleansing and preparation. Imagine what changes in your home when the dominant story of Christmas is not how spiritual we can try to be. It's that, look, the Lord came down to Illinois and He saved me and carried me on eagle's wings. 
Imagine what changes in Manchester for the, the brokenhearted and the anxious and the worried. The people on the edge and the addicts and the sinners around us, when they hear the good news of the gospel, at Bethlehem, where God says, come up near me. Let's pray. God, I pray that you use this truth from Exodus 19 to cause us to celebrate. May our hearts be overwhelmed with joy at the reality that we have everything that we need. We have a welcome. We have your presence. Because we have Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.